This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. Hello. Well, that was very sing song and cute. I don't know. I just feel good now. Hi. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's episode 36. 36. Mm hmm. Workplace crimes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, in the spirit of that, I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all while we're feeling super great. Yes. Maybe a little relaxed. Yes. It's because of our hump day treat this week. Mm-hmm. And it was much needed after our work week. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. I mean, some of y'all do. Some, some of y'all do. do know. <laughs> some of y'all yeah. totally get it. But, uh, yeah. So, I was sitting there thinking... What can we do for workplace crimes? Okay, that's a lot of stress, right? So let's de-stress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's the best way for a female to de-stress? Ice cream and spa shit. I was going to say alcohol, but yeah, that too. <laughs> I mix. I, I put the alcohol in the ice cream. <laughs> that's why it's so glorious. So our friend Shannon gave me a bottle of this black walnut cream deliciously divine wine. Mm-hmm. That her mom brings her from North Dakota. <laughs> North Dakota. <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. Thank you very much. Because it's so good. Uh, we made some milkshakes. <laughs> Our milkshakes bring all the, all boys, the boys to, to the, the yard. yard. <laughs> and damn right. <laughs> it's better than yours. <laughs> I could teach you, but then we'd have to charge for a Patreon. So. <laughs> Literally cannot with you. <laughs> so we did that, and then I made up um, a little basket of a whole bunch of spa goodies. I put all kind of shit on my face, y'all. Yeah, we did. I was like, look, we're you know what? We're just going to freaking do it. I got all this stuff. We're going to for real de-stress. And we did that. We did that shit. Our faces feel like baby's booties again. Yes, and I, I like that. And you know what? I smell like very ladylike. Yeah. I smell like roses and shit. I know. (laughs) (laughs) All therapeutic. I feel so girly. Yeah. I don't do stuff like this. It was nice. I like it. Amanda made me put like some kind of oil on my face. Oh, yeah. I have, there was, I had like two different serums. Things on my eyes. Mm -hmm. We did the hydrating eye little patches and then. What mask did you do? The rose one calming for calming. Rose, yes, I did the lavender for toning, and then we did the um, retinol and vitamin C serums, and then I had some Cerave PM lotion. So there you go. I just put anything she handed to me. I just I just I dragged on. out all of my stuff. It's so nice. Every single bit of it. I feel fancy. Cool. That was my goal, <laughs> and I got candles everywhere, lit. They're actually lit. They're not just chilling. (laughs) Shit's lit. (laughs) Yeah, bruh. Yeah, so, um. (laughs) We're here and we're fabulous. Yes, we are. Or we feel fabulous. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I mean, not fabulous. It's up to y'all. It's cool. Yeah. 
they're here, so we must be slightly fabulous. True. Very yeah. true. So, oh. What? I have some information. Oh, we do. We have an update. So, my dad is a part-time listener. Yeah. And we were talking about the podcast on Break at Work the other day. And I told him about how I brought up the fact that he told me that he wasn't sure when you became a real grown-up. And he would let me know. Yeah. So, Nicole, we have answered your question. Yes. (laughs) So, according to Pops, you feel like a true grown-up when you know what you want to be when you grow up. And Have he fun with said that. <laughs> he still doesn't know what he yeah. wants to be when he grows up. I mean, he's only, you know, owned his own business for 25 years. Right. Yeah, whatevs. You know, that's his side hustle until he figures out what he wants yeah, to do. Yeah, he that's, that's what he so, said. Um, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So I'm not no there clue. yet. I haven't made it. Yeah. So there you go. There's there's the facts. There's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Sitting here rubbing my neck. I'm like, ooh, you rubbing my neck. It's soft. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. Cannot. Okay. Go to Facebook and Instagram to see the photos. Oh, yeah. There you go. I have lots of photos this week. I do not. Amanda picked up the photo slack. Yeah. I got you, boo. I didn't have a bunch of pictures. That's but okay. I got a real badass story to tell you. Yeah, so. as long as you got the story. I really don't Don't go care. postal, guys. It's fine. <laughs> See what I did there? I see what you did there. <laughs> Y'all will see shortly. Maybe. Or will I mean, you? I have no clue. It's going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I hope so. <laughs> 36 episodes, still not pros. It's fine. To be determined still. <laughs> okay. So I decided to do my case this week on Patrick Henry Sherrill. So let me... I know nothing. Let me tell you some stuff. Cool. Patrick Henry Sherrill was an American stalker and later mass murderer and workplace shooter who on August 20th, 1986, committed the Edmond Post Office shooting in Edmond, Oklahoma, which left 15 people dead, including Sherrill himself, and injured six. Oh, my God. Okay. How's that for an opening yeah. sentence? <laughs> wow. It okay. Currently, <laughs> the deadliest workplace massacre committed by a single gunman in U.S. history. Wow. Little is known about Cheryl's early life. He was born on November 13th, 1941. You have a Scorpio? I guess so. Yes, you do. I, I don't know the day, the cutoff days. I think that's still, yeah. I'm going to take your word for it, boo-boo. Yeah. Delena, tell us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For many years, he lived with his widowed mother in Oklahoma City, where she supported him. It is known that he was not well-liked. He was a social misfit with no friends at work or otherwise. Aren't they all? Who? All who? All the crazies. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> aren't they all who? I, th- I was hoping you weren't talking about Scorpios. No, no. <laughs> no, Scorpios are fucking awesome. I think so. God. They're the best. Um, he refused to engage with his co-workers, either ignoring them or responding with snide comments. Hmm. <laughs> I had to let that soak in. I have no, I'm going to, yep, keep my mouth shut on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wise. <laughs> yes. He treated his female colleagues even worse. One woman refused to be alone with him. She said the way he stared at her made her feel nude and that he looked like someone who peeped in windows and molested little kids. 
I get it. Yeah. That's, rockets. What? Oh, rockets. rockets. Yeah. Totally mm-hmm. gave me that vibe. Other female co-workers complained about him always staring at them and rubbing up against them. Ew. Oh, hell no. He ended up getting fired from one job because he had cornered a woman in the elevator and wouldn't let her out. Bruh. Later, he lived alone in a house that didn't even have an extra chair for a visitor. He was a peeping Tom who would prowl around at night looking through people's windows. Nice. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) homegirl called it. (laughs) Yeah. One neighbor, a woman he had gone to high school with, reported that he made several obscene phone calls to her. And the police were called about his peeping, but he was never arrested. What? Neighborhood children would often mock him. He would chase them around while they yelled at him, Crazy Pat. (laughs) (laughs) Kids are assholes, but (laughs) you don't humor them. (laughs) They they were right, though. (laughs) I mean, Pat Cray. He Cray. He was also sensitive about his baldness. Aww. So, on that note, let's go look at a picture of him. Yes, please. (laughs) It just says Cheryl. Okay. Oh. He was quite bald. And and the ears. Really does have a creeper look. Look at that smirk on his face. Oh, yeah. yeah, He's definitely got the smirk. Yeah. He does look like a creeper. I could see him peeping in windows. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I understand it now. Mm Mm-hmm. He had spent two years in the U.S. Marines, leaving the service in 1966, and often boasted of his tour of duty in Vietnam, although the record showed he never left mainland America. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After his discharge, he served on the National Guard's rifle team and was known as a small arms expert. Oh, good. He wore army fatigues every day. <laughs> so... You're not that important. Would you call the fuck (laughs) down? down. There's a little background on Crazy Pat. Okay. (laughs) About a year and a half before the murders, he had been hired at the Edmond Post Office. Cheryl's job title was relief carrier, meaning he was often required to work alternate routes on different days, a position dictated by his rank on the seniority list. So he was low man on the totem pole. Yeah. So he had to bounce around. It is what it is. Yep. His lack of permanently assigned route meant that he did not rate the same job stability of other USPS workers. So, pretty much, if there were layoffs, he'd be the first one to go. Yeah. Opinions vary concerning his job performance. Some reports portray him as an erratic, irritable worker. Others claim he performed well and was being picked on by management. Either way... On the afternoon of August 19th, 1986, supervisors Esser and Bland. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Shit. (laughs) Reprimanded Cheryl for his behavior. Those who knew him said he claimed the supervisors were targeting him for harassment and had threatened to take revenge. It is believed that the anxiety of possibly being fired was his trigger. Mm hmm. Obs. Yeah. Some little tidbits. Yeah. That I read on different places was that um, he often would mix up mail and was rude to people on his route. Like if they asked where the regular carrier was, he would be rude <laughs> to them about it. So he was having complaints filed on him. Yeah. But he thought he was being picked on. I mean, it is what it is. Maybe he couldn't help it. Let's take a drink. Okay. All right. Yes, ma'am. Shannon, this stuff is really mm-hmm. good. 
I may be drunk I really by like this episode. <laughs> I went a little heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I made my own uh, ratio proportion concoction. It's a little wonky, but I'm here for it. Okay, well, it could probably have some improvements, but it's doing the job. Indeed. Yeah. At 7.05 a.m. on August 20th, 1986, he arrived at work in his postman's uniform. Cheryl went in with two mailbags with three Colt 45s inside, slung over his shoulder. He shot two people outside the post office to get people's attention. He then walked inside, locked the door behind him, and shot a few others while they attempted to flee from the scene. Holy shit. Most of the workers thought the sounds were firecrackers or party favors. (laughs) Some thought it was just a prank. I mean, wouldn't you? If you were in the back of a mail building and heard like a pop, I don't think a gunshot would be your first reaction. No, seriously not. No. Cheryl strode through the building, shooting those trying to flee, then bolting the rest of the doors. One man who had been shot managed to get out of the door, but then died in the parking lot. Once all the exits were locked, Cheryl began targeting those who were hiding under tables and in cubicles. Cheryl shot people multiple times after they were already dead. Oh, my God. One woman screamed, get out of here, you crazy son of a bitch. So Cheryl shot her three times. Oh, girl, shut up. (laughs) Keep your mouth closed. (laughs) Shut up. Bill Bland, the supervisor who... (laughs) That was a horrible last name. It is. It's so bad. (laughs) And then his name is Bill. (laughs) Bill Bland. (laughs) Okay. Poor, Poor Bill. It might be William, and he just goes by Bill. Either way. (laughs) It's still bland. Yeah. (laughs) The supervisor who was planning to fire Cheryl was late that day and survived the massacre. Oh, good for him. The co-supervisor, Rick Esser, was the first to die. Oh. The one colleague that Cheryl liked had been advised by him to take the day off, so she also survived. Hmm. Cheryl took one of his pistols and shot himself in the forehead. Oh, wow. Yeah. God. Okay. Minutes later, the police arrived to find a parking lot filled with bloody victims. For 45 minutes, they tried communicating with Cheryl by phone and bullhorn, not knowing that he was already dead inside. Oh, shit. Finally, at about 8.30 a.m., a SWAT team stormed the post office. Inside, they found a scene of carnage straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. In just 15 minutes and using 50 bullets, Cheryl murdered 14 and wounded six more employees. Oh. My. Fucking God. I have a picture. Um, If you want to go to the notes, <gasps> it's of a couple ambulances in front of the post office. They're loading people up. Oh, my gosh. In the words of my son, it's an ambulance. <laughs> There's an ambulance. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's... Okay. Mm, there really wasn't a lot of pictures, so that's all I got. I mean, at least you got that. That was pretty good. Yeah. The shooting coined the term going postal. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what that noise was, but Okay. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> Whatever that was, it was great. I still have Colt 45 playing through my head. I'm sorry. And you said, <laughs> baby, that's, that's all we, we need. need. Yeah. <laughs> oh. In American slang, it means to go uncontrollably crazy, maybe to the point of homicidal violence, usually in response to workplace stress. 
It was usually used as a joke, something along the lines of, if I have to file one more report, I swear I'm going to go postal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's all I got. (laughs) Obviously, the USPS does not like this term. Why not? It's funny. (laughs) Studies have shown that postal workers are no more likely to engage in workplace violence than any other occupation. Yeah, that's what makes it funny. Everybody wants to go postal. Okay. It's just part of adulting. <laughs> let them use it. <laughs> let them find one ounce of joy. Okay. Just let them have it. <laughs> See, it's been that kind of week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheryl's attack left Oklahoma in shock. The shooting made a mark in American history and sadly helped make more of these types of massacres more frequent. Mm-hmm. Many other post office shootings happened in a 10-year time period. One of these shootings was the case of John Merlin Taylor. <clears throat> Merlin! I don't know why my voice just broke like that. <clears throat> it's fine. <laughs> I didn't sing enough on the way here. <laughs> Obviously not. Get your shit together, woman. John Taylor was a postal worker and was a model employee. He was also known to be kind. It came as a shock when he shot and killed his wife before going to his work and killing two other postal employees. He shot himself after the attack and was taken to the hospital but was pronounced brain dead. He died hours later. Okay. Yeah. Well. The Edmond Post Office shooting is currently the 10th deadliest mass shooting committed by a lone gunman in U.S. history. Wow. It could be argued that the 2009 Fort Hood shooting committed by Nidal Malik Hassan mm-hmm. is tied with the post office shooting since an unborn child was also killed along with 13 adult victims. Mm-hmm. The 2015 San Bernardino attack could also be tied with the post office shooting or even deadlier since it had two shooters who both died in the massacre along with 14 victims. Jesus. The Edmond Post Office shooting was one of several similar incidents that conspiracy theorist Melissa Miller, what are words? I don't know. (laughs) Claimed were staged by the, okay, this, this girl right, no, this girl right here. What? Are you okay? (laughs) No, this girl right here is bad shit. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Stephen, you don't you don't have to cut that out. But I'm going to start reading this again. Okay, Are you y'all excited? just listen. Right, no, y'all just listen. Okay, I'm going to read. It's only like one sentence about her, but geez, Louise. All right. The Edmund Post Office shooting was one of several similar incidents that conspiracy theorists Melissa Miller claimed were staged by the U.S. government in order to increase gun control. <laughs> Let that uh, sink in for a sec. You know. I think the government has better things to do. But whatever. You you never know. Oh my goodness. In 1993, on the exact same day, there were two mass shootings at post offices. One in Dearborn, Michigan, and another in Dana Point, California. Two years earlier, in 1991, there had also been two postal shootings in Ridgewood, New Jersey, and Royal Oak, Michigan. Good lord. I know. Would y'all stop? That's why, that's why that phrase, that's why, that's why that phrase. Going postal, for Mm -hmm. sure. Oh my goodness, boy, did they. So, a 7,000-page U.S. Postal Inspector's Report analyzed the Edmund tragedy, and a one-day congressional hearing was held. Have fun reading that. Yeah, not gonna. No. 
Both concluded that measures should have been in place to profile Cheryl and prevent his hiring. They also recommended that occupational health and safety standards, as well as other federal regulations, be applied to postal facilities. Okay. So beforehand, the post offices weren't treated like other government buildings. Mm-hmm. The yeah, report, it's just mail. Yeah. You know, it's just mail. Not that big a deal. The report and hearing spawned many workplace violence studies by criminologists, psychiatrists, and federal agencies. There are so many S's in this story. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing so good, though. <laughs> Thanks, boo-boo. <laughs> These resulted in new hiring, management, and safety practices being implemented. After the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, federal laws regarding homicide against federal employees were expanded to include postal workers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, um, you know, I always like to throw in a little, you know, if there was a movie, TV show, whatever. There's yeah. only one thing. There's one thing about this. Okay. There was an episode of Criminal Minds based on the shooting in season 13. <gasps> it was titled False Flag. So now I'm going to have to go yep. watch that episode. Putting that on the list. Yes. Oh my goodness. So, how common is the completion of suicide after an attack on the workplace? Good question. More than 30% of those who have committed work-related murders end up killing themselves after the attacks. Research shows a correlation between how many people are killed to the likelihood of the perpetrator turning the gun on themselves. The more people they kill, the more likely they are to complete suicide. Often the employee who exhibits extreme anger or physical attacks at work has given up and has a fatalistic attitude towards life, including their own. Yep. The rage and need to get even overpowers the desire to live. The decision to kill themselves and take down those they believe are to blame is not uncommon. Homicide is, of course, not the only form of workplace violence. It yeah. Can, it can also take the form of shouting, uh, profanities, name-calling, and harassment. Workplace, well. Yeah. That yeah. takes out all the fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't shout at anyone. No, but I just say. I don't say profanities at work. There is no name calling, and I definitely would not harass anyone. Ever. She's looking at me through tiny slits in her eyes. She's got, like, the mom eyes on me. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be grounded after this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, break time is a totally different story. <laughs> that doesn't count. Workplace violence has occurred in every level of the workplace, from factories to white-collar companies. Some workers, however, are at an increased risk. Among them mm. are workers who exchange money with the public, because they exchange money with the public. Come on. Yeah, yeah. People who deliver passengers, goods, or services, or work alone in small groups during late night or early morning hours in high-crime areas or in community settings and homes where they have extensive contact with the public. Yes. This group includes healthcare and social service workers, such as visiting nurses, psychiatric evaluators, and probation officers. Community workers, such as gas and water utility employees, phone and cable TV installers, and letter carriers. Retail workers and taxi drivers. So. Damn. If that's one of y'all's so jobs. everybody. If that's one of y'all's jobs, <laughs> look out. Be aware of your surroundings. Talk space. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
Um, seriously though, I put in all that last part because I, I do feel like it's important to be mindful of people around you and changes in behavior. Yeah. Sometimes people just need somebody to talk to or somebody to feel like anybody cares. Right. They just want to feel like they're being heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And little tiny things go such a long way. Oh, absolutely. It's the little things that always matter the most in every just situation. saying good morning mm-hmm. when you pass people in the morning time. Mm-hmm. A smile when you walk past somebody in the hallway. If somebody's obviously having a bad day, asking if they're okay. Just little tiny things that take like 30 seconds out of your day, if that. It won't kill you. It won't kill you. You would not believe how big of a difference that can make in somebody's yes. day. Yes. So, yeah. Just that one little inkling that somebody gives a shit. So, be kind. Rewind. <laughs> that caught me off guard. <laughs> I was like being all sweet and shit. Sorry. You ruined my sweet moment. I don't it have was... very many of those. Okay, okay. You're showing me. Go back. Go You're back. being mean to me in the workplace. This is not. Oh, I guess this, this is, is the workplace. Our workplace. <laughs> I don't count it as work, though. I'm just, I'm just joshing ya. Oh my god. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> I'm just being facetious. <laughs> we used to say that just like dad. junior high, high school when we mm-hmm. learned what that word meant. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we thought we were super smart. I'm just being facetious. That was a really popular oh. uh, saying. Because we were trying to be cool. I know. And Sound grown. all sophisticated and shit. <sighs> blah, 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 Stupid blah, blah, blah. I know. Oh, so slow yeah, down. That was my case. That was really good. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciated it thoroughly. Thanks. I'm going to take a drink. Yeah, let's do that. Let's chug. Girl, I don't know if I can <laughs> chug. I'm kidding. There's ice cream in this. There's there is of- no way in hell I'm chugging it. <laughs> you want me to throw up ice cream all over my laptop and have at it? I mean, I didn't pay for that laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Did I interrupt your swallow? You were interrupting my <laughs> swallow and I spit it back in my cup. Like it went back down my straw. <laughs> it was either that or spit it out everywhere. <laughs> Nobody likes a spitter. fantastic it even brought tears to my eyes <laughs> i'm so glad that was great i think maybe we needed that little giggle <laughs> okay i'm so glad i could entertain to those of you that didn't tune out you're welcome <laughs> don't tune out because this is about to get good oh yeah i got it. i got another good one all right okay my case <laughs> tell me about it is on Brian Wells. Okay. Yeah. 
Born November 15, 1956, Brian Douglas Wells was a quiet individual who kept to himself a lot. He never caused any trouble and was dedicated to his pizza delivery job. He was a veteran and a Scorpio. <laughs> I was like, oh my God! Okay. His favorite color was blue. <laughs> I don't know. I'm teasing you. Maybe. All right. Okay, let's go look at a photo of Brian real quick. Okay. It says Brian Wells. Oh, he's got the 80s glasses. He's got the glasses, the all hair, right. all of it. Uh, I can see him delivering pizzas. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, on August 28th, 2003, in Erie, Pennsylvania. Which is the best name for a town. Hell Yeah. I want to live in Erie. In, like, the perfect setting for this shit. Yeah. In Erie, Pennsylvania, on August 28th, 2003, (laughs) Brian's pizza delivery went horribly wrong when it ended with him dying thanks to a bomb locked around his neck. That'll do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brian's working day was a normal one when an order came in to Mamma Mia's Pizzeria. (laughs) I know. I love love it. I love it so much. Mamma Mia's Pizzeria. That's how I'd answer the phone. Mamma Mia's Pizzeria. Right? Yeah. At 1.30 p.m. is when the call came in. A 46-year-old delivery man was to bring... (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) We want a (laughs) 46-year-old delivery man. (laughs) Not 45. No. Not 47. (laughs) 46. Okay. (laughs) Fuck. The... 46-year-old pizza delivery man was to bring two small pizzas to an address on the outskirts of town. That's never a good sign. No. Outskirts are never good. Don't go to the outskirts. So when he got to the address, everything quickly changed. Rather than a house, the location was a TV transmission tower surrounded by woods. Yep. Okay, weird. And rather than a tip... He received an eight-page note. Yeah. At 2.28 p.m. I'd have $8. I mean, right? I mean, I'll take $3. Don't give me a... Whatever. What am I supposed to do with this crap? (laughs) Wipe my ass? I don't know. That's just when think of friends. Oh, God. Was it front and back? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) That's perfect. Anywho. Okay. Okay. So, that day, at 2.28 p.m., Brian Wells walked into a PNC bank in Erie. He carried a short cane in his right hand and a strange bulge under... <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. But it, strange bulge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know. Sorry. Okay. I'm done. Because I did that, too. <laughs> but it's under the collar of his T-shirt, so oh, okay. it's too high up. Okay. <laughs> it had the words, guest jeans, fashionably scribbled onto it with a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I know. But, wait, what year is this again? Hang on, let me scroll back <laughs> over there. It uh, was in 2003. Yeah. And they put guest jeans? Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So, he passed the teller a note that said, gather employees with access codes to vault and work fast to fill bag with $250,000. You have only 15 minutes. Okay, it said a lot more, but you get the gist. The teller, 
who told Wells there was no way to get into the vault at that time because there was no one there with the access codes. So instead, she filled a bag with cash of $8,702 and handed it over. Wells walked out, sucking on a dum-dum lollipop he had grabbed from the counter, hopped into his car, and drove off. But he didn't get far. Some 15 minutes later, state troopers spotted Wells standing outside his Geo Metro. <laughs> yeah, baby! I get it! In a nearby McDonald's parking lot. They surrounded him and put him on his knees while cuffing his hands behind his back. I have a photo of him with a dum-dum. <laughs> okay, let me see. It's called dum-dum. Okay, where are you at? Uh, where okay. is it? Down at the bottom? Kind of. Yeah, dum-dum. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. I mean, would you not notice his shirt, though? Like, that looks really, really weird. Super sus. I'd be like, what the And f- I guess that's a mask? No, that's his face. <laughs> no, there's no way. This is his face. It looks blurred out. It, it Well, it's, I mean, it's on a, it's from a security camera footage, so okay. it's a little grainy, but. Um, Still looks sus. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so he's got the $8,000 back. I mean. You gotta stop for the dum-dum. He was trying not to be suspicious and be casual and fit in, you know. I think it's pretty cool that uh, PNC Bank went for the dum-dums instead of the little peppermints. Yeah, or those lollipops that have like the loopy oh, those stick are at the garbage. end of it. Yeah, don't get those. Yeah. Yuck. Like, come on, guys. Those are from like, what, the 60s? Oh, and it grosses me out when kids eat those. Ugh, ugh. I don't know. I mean, the handle of it was pretty convenient. I'm not going to no, lie, but they tasted gets, like shit. And it gets floppy. soggy. Yeah, uh, it gets soggy. Okay, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. Trauma I need of childhood <laughs> coming back up. I need some wipes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wells told the troopers that while out on a delivery... He had been confronted by a group of black men, of course, mm-hmm. who chained the bomb around his neck at gunpoint and forced him to rob the bank. The eight-page note the men had forced upon him was actually somewhat of a scavenger hunt, which coincidentally Brian really loved. Of course. Hmm. The instructions were very, 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 very detailed <laughs> and meticulously written. He was instructed to first rob the bank, then go to the McDonald's and look in the flower bed for another note, which would then lead him to other locations in order to get the keys for the caller. He was on his way to the next location when they stopped him. He tried explaining all of this to them, but they weren't having anything to do with it. Because they're like, dude, you're fucking stupid. Yeah, like, whatever, dude. You're just trying to get away with robbing a bank. Shut Mm -hmm. the fuck up. So I have an aerial view of where all of this took place. Okay. So, you can see the little uh, pin, whatever. Yeah. That's where they pulled him over. Okay. Um, There's an eyeglass place, and then there's the McDonald's that was next to it, and then the PNC Bank. You can't see it, but it's it's there. Okay. <laughs> it's on the other side. Okay. Okay. So, at first, the officers were under the impression that the bomb was a fake. This guy was way too calm for this thing to be real. You know, when he was sitting there trying to explain to them what was going on, they were like, okay, he's just chilling. Like, yeah, I'd be sweating. I mean, I'd be crying. Like, oh, <laughs> Where yeah. is the bomb squad? <laughs> I really, like, I really need the bomb squad. <laughs> Where, you know, the people that, like, get this shit off of me. This t shirt's not even really guessed. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote it on 
I wear the knockoff. The knockoff. I'm just really an emotional wreck right now. I feel like nobody's listening to me. Fuck. Okay. I'm okay. Sorry. Okay. 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 So yeah, so he was way too calm, but. As more time passed, he began to get a little more anxious. He heard a ticking noise that wasn't there before. Oh, no. He started screaming, it's going to go off, he told them in desperation. I'm not lying. The officers called the bomb squad, finally, Mm -hmm. and took positions behind their cars, guns drawn. What you going to shoot for? Thank you. Like, if you shoot him, the bomb's (laughs) going to go, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) In the photos, though, like, it looks like they're just kind of like leaning over the car, like "God damn it!" I, I, but for real though, how can we get this, this over with? Like, <laughs> is can, it gonna explode or not? Because <laughs> them nuggets down there is calling my name. I can smell, I can smell the, the nuggets and the fries. Here. I need, I need the sweet and sour sauce and the barbecue. So- can we get this over with? Can we wrap it up? Large Come on, bro. Teaser dollar. Mm. <laughs> mm. I'm sorry. Okay. So as the cops are chilling, the TV camera crews arrived and began filming. For 25 minutes, Wells remained seated on the pavement. His legs curled beneath him, you know, like Indian style. Yeah. I have a photo of Brian chilling with the cops. Now that's called crisscross applesauce. I know. I was going to say that. But I was like, you know. <laughs> Maybe not everybody would know that. Okay. Where am I looking? I don't know. Hold Brian on. I just, cops. Yeah, Brian with cops. I just clicked on the wrong photo. See how they're just kind of like. Ah. <laughs> they're just hanging out. He is like full blown, leaned over on the elbows, ass out. Yeah. Like, all right, dude, for real. That's the one talking about the chicken nuggets. He's like, I can smell McDonald's from here. <laughs> I can smell it from here. I know. See, the one next to him, they're talking about it like, mm-hmm. I smell the chicken nuggets, dude. I smell the fucking hey, fries. Send the new guy. Send the new guy over Oh, that's a good idea. That's probably that's probably send, what send that said. rookie over here. Send send him over here. Yeah, bro. That McDonald's though. Yeah. Tell him to not forget the sauce. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as they're all chilling, suddenly the device started to emit an accelerating beeping noise. That's not a good sign. I know that from watching TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wells fidgeted, begging and pleading for the bomb squad. It looked like he was trying to scoot backwards somehow to try to escape the bomb being strapped from his neck. Because that is panic. Yeah, I, I mean, what, what would you thing. do? It, it, right. I would have wanted to get up and flee, but the bomb's going it, with it's you. It's on so. me. It's on me. I can't get it off. <laughs> so, yeah. Unfortunately, because they had shut down all of the surrounding streets, the bomb squad was 10 miles away, stuck in traffic. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Good planning, guys. They have sirens. They can't get around the traffic. Drive on the shoulder like the rest of the police. I can't with these people. Go on. You're fucking up Erie, Pennsylvania. Somebody somebody fucked up. Mm -hmm. Somebody did. I don't know who. Somebody. Okay. So, my next (laughs) sentence is beep, 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 boom. That was a very underwhelming boom. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. Boom. The device detonated, blasting him violently onto his back and ripping a five-inch hole in his chest. Oh, no, no, no. 
The pizza delivery man took his last few breaths and died on the pavement. It was 3.18 p.m. The bomb squad arrived three minutes later. There's so much things wrong. So much, so much already. So much wrong. Mm-hmm. I have a picture of uh, after it happened. Okay. Is Tell me that bomb squad man ain't poking him with a stick. What is he doing? I don't... They were putting... There's, like, these wires that they put all over him to try... I, okay. This picture I don't know makes it look like do. he's poking him with a stick. <laughs> it does look I like do. he's poking him with a stick. Dude. But I know that they had to examine him to see if there were any more bombs on him. Okay. I don't know what the wires do. I'm not a bomb squad specialist. Okay. Anybody out there a bomb squad specialist? Explain it like, to me. Like, what is he doing? Why does it look like he's poking him with a stick? <laughs> <laughs> and again, interrupted the swallow. Yep. You said poking with a stick. <laughs> I can't. Okay. So My face is so soft. I know. I it, it feels so good. We're glowing. I know. The police began sorting through a trove of physical evidence. In his car, they discovered the two-foot-long cane, which turned out to be an ingeniously crafted homemade gun. Yes. Okay. And it was fully functioning as well. Um, That's action movie shit right there. I know. The bomb itself was likewise a marvel of DIY design and construction. The device consisted of two parts, a triple banded metal collar with four keyholes and a three digit combination lock and an iron box containing two six inch pipe bombs. Oh my. The hinged collar locked around his neck like a giant handcuff. Investigators could tell that it had been built using professional tools because they could not find any in their supply to replicate exactly how it was made or take it apart. Oh, my goodness. The device also contained two Sunbeam kitchen timers (laughs) (laughs) and one electronic countdown timer. Okay. It had wires running through it that connected to nothing, decoys to throw off the would-be disablers, and stickers bearing deceptive warnings that were... Extremely detailed, just like the eight-page note. (laughs) Okay. The contraption was a puzzle for sure. Mm -hmm. Would you like to see a pictures? Or a a picture, pictures, whatever. You know, whatever. Show me the pics. Okay. Okay. So go to the one that says cane. Okay. And you can see a picture of the cane first. Okay. That's really fucking cool. (laughs) I know. That's really fucking cool. That was pretty fucking clever. And it worked. That's pretty cool. I know. I'm here for it. Okay. Yeah, if you look back in that photo, you can see him carrying it. He didn't yeah, use I it, but it. yeah. But that's what it really was. You can go to the picture that says collar. Looks like a giant handcuff. Yes, it does. That and, is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And then go to the photo that says bomb one. Okay. That is, oh, okay. that's okay. a replica of what it looked like. Like, Well, obviously it blew up, right? He, he, yeah. Yes, but it, like, the actual box remained intact. Hmm. They had a plate behind it, a steel plate that they had scored. Um, it looked like a checkerboard, kind of, to try to give the, the shrapnel effect when it blew up. But they didn't score it deep enough, so it just kind of split. In one spot, so okay. they don't have that. So then I have a picture of the actual bomb. Is that bomb too? Yep. 
Okay. Okay. So you see that little like pool pin thing? Mm-hmm. There was one beneath it that the um, whoever put the box on him pulled initially, and that started the timer. Okay. What he didn't know, if he had pulled that second pin, it would have bought him another hour. <laughs> wow. I bet that's what one of his scavenger hunt notes said. I don't know. They should have let him go to the next location. <sighs> that would have made a really good movie. I know. Well, at least just following him from location to location. Mm-hmm. I'd watch the shit out of that. With some popcorn and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I'm done. Are you done? Yeah. I'm getting close. I don't know if it's just like the foam part, you know? Mm-hmm. Or if it's... That, oh, nope. yeah. It's getting there. Okay. The most intriguing pieces of evidence, though, were the handwritten notes that investigators found inside Wells' car. Addressed to the bomb hostage, the notes instructed Wells to rob the bank of $250,000, then follow a set of complex instructions to find various keys and combination codes hidden throughout Erie. It contained drawings, threats, and detailed maps. If Wells did as he was told, the instructions promised he'd wind up with the keys and the combination required to free him from the bomb. Failure or disobedience would result in certain death. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. There is only one way you can survive, and that is to cooperate completely, the notes read in meticulous lettering that would Mm. later stimmy handwriting analysis. This powerful booby-trapped bomb can be removed only by following our instructions. Act now, think later, or you will die. Bum, bum, bum again. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to see the note? (laughs) Yes, please show me this. Okay. (laughs) Have fun with it. There's all eight pages in order. Hold Feel up. free to zoom in and have at it. Oh, my Lanta. Mm-hmm. No, I'm good, bro. Yeah, yeah. I'm good, bro. Now you see why I'm like, I don't know what it says. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I ain't, I don't, I don't I ain't know. Even, I ain't even going to do all that. <laughs> like, I remember some of the detectives said that it looked like they had put paper on top like they had typed it all out and mm-hmm. then put paper on top of it and traced it because of all the spacing and the margins and everything that's weird that's, why would you do that i mean that's a lot of like tedious shit man if you typed it out just leave it typed out that's stupid I, you're I, just wasting I, time thank you In the frantic hours after Wells was killed, the cops tried completing the hunt themselves. The first note was straightforward enough. Exit the bank with the money and go to the McDonald's restaurant. Get out of the car and go to the small sign reading drive-thru open 24 hour in the flower bed. By the sign, there is a rock with a note taped to the bottom. It has your next instructions. Wells drove straight there after he left the bank with the bag of cash. He retrieved a two-page note from the flower bed. Two pages. Oh, my God. That's too extra. (laughs) Which directed him up Peach Street, which is where he already was, Mm -hmm. to a wooded area several miles away, where a container with orange tape would hold the next set of instructions. Wells was caught before he got to that clue, but the investigators picked up the thread, locating the container with the orange tape. In it, they found another note directing them two miles south to a small road sign, where the next clue would be waiting in a jar in the woods nearby. When they got there, they found the jar, but it was empty. Okay. 
While at this location, one of the officers noticed a light blue minivan off in the distance headed towards them. It stopped and sat there for a minute, but then turned around and headed back in the direction it came from. Whoever had set this sick ordeal in motion, it seemed, had called it off once the cops had appeared. And had probably been watching them every step of the way. Of course, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Wells' clothing added another layer of intrigue. Of course it did. He died wearing two t-shirts. The outer one with the guest logo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He wasn't wearing the shirt at work that morning, and his relative said it wasn't his. It appeared to be a taunting message. Can you guess who is behind this? (laughs) (laughs) The riddles captivated the city of Erie and drew headlines in newspapers from St. Louis to Sydney. It also set in motion an investigation with federal agents sniffing out clues and hunting down leads in twisted pursuit of the shadowy criminal who came to be known as the Collar Bomber. For seven years, the FBI was engaged in a scavenger hunt of its own, one that the Collar Bomber seemed to have planned as intricately as the one that had entrapped Wells. The only question was whether the feds would get any further than Wells had. The hunt began at Mama Mia's Pizzeria <laughs> when an order came in for two small sausage and pepperoni pies to be delivered to that location in the outskirts of the city. Wells was a loyal employee. In 10 years, the only time he had called in late for work was when his cat died. Oh, how sad. And I would have just called in completely. I mean, I mean, he had three total. Like my ass. I'm in mourning. <laughs> <laughs> Fluffy died. I can't come in. Sprinkles. Sprinkles. Like Angela on the office. <laughs> sprinkles. I forgot about sprinkles. <laughs> Even though he was at the end of his shift, he agreed to deliver the order. He walked out of the shop, two pies in hand, at around 2 p.m. The delivery location reachable only by a dirt road was the TV transmission tower. When the investigators combed the vicinity, they discovered shoe prints consistent with Wells and tire tracks matching the treads on his Geo Metro. (laughs) But the site offered no clues as to who may have lured him there or what happened once he arrived. I have a photo of the TV tower. Okay. Okay. I mean, if you pulled up to that, wouldn't you kind of be like, Bro, I would have um, turned around and left. Um, I don't think this is right. I'd have been like, I'm taking these pieces home. These are my pieces these now. These pieces coming home with me. Yeah. They're going in my belly. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. Couldn't find it. No. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. There was nobody there. <laughs> the next day, a reporter and a photographer for the Erie Times News headed to the tower. The dirt road leading there was condoned. Cor- Condoned, cordoned off by the authorities, but the journalist spotted a tall, heavy-set man in denim Carhartt overalls pacing in front of a home that sat right next to it. His backyard extended almost to the transmission tower. The man identified himself as Bill Rothstein. Hmm. Hmm. Very. Rothstein, 59, was an unmarried handyman and a lifelong resident of the area. He spoke eloquently, <clears throat> whatever, believe it, like someone who takes great pride in his mastery of the English language. He was also fluent in French and Hebrew. Of course he was. Whatever. <laughs> Rothstein seemed oblivious to the investigation unfolding beyond his backyard. 
The journalists, eager to get a view of the scene, asked Rothstein if he could lead them through his yard. He agreed. They headed into the thick brush, but still couldn't see much. After spending about 15 minutes at Rothstein's place, they took off. Rothstein. Rothstein. Okay. Would you like to see a photo of, of Rothstein? Okay. Well, I have one. It says Bill. Another Bill. Another Bill. Yep. Well... He does not look like a handyman except for the overalls. <laughs> like, if you were just looking, you know, neck up. Yeah. He looks like a college professor. Maybe. He kind of talks like an Egg Kemper. Okay. So, I don't know. It's kind of right. who he reminds me of. All right, guy. So, Bill may have appeared to be just a man who owned a house next to the TV tower, but... He turned out to be hiding a dark secret. On September 20th, less than a month after the bomb killed Wells, Rothstein called 911. At 8645 Peach Street in the garage, there is a frozen body, he told the police (laughs) dispatcher, referring to his own address. It's in the freezer. That's where I keep my frozen bodies. Always. Mm -hmm. Within hours of making the call, Rothstein was in custody. He told the... Yeah, thank God. (laughs) He told the cops that he had been in agony for weeks. He had considered killing himself, he told them, and had gone so far as to write a suicide note, which investigators found inside a desk at his home. Writing in black marker. A sharpie, perhaps? Perhaps. Hmm. Rothstein expressed his apologies to those who cared for or about me, identified the body in his freezer of that as Jim Roden, and noted that he did not kill him nor participate in his death. The note opened with a curious disclaimer. This has nothing to do with the Wells case. <laughs> Bruh, nobody asked you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay, so I'm like, I have something really important to tell you. <laughs> but it it totally has nothing it, it really, to do yeah, nothing at all. with that whole pizza guy thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even a little bit. He said, he said later that uh, he did that so they didn't have to waste their time wondering if it was. You know how people... How kind. I, I just... Like, he's the type, like, you know how people ramble or, like, laugh retardedly when they're nervous? <laughs> <laughs> um, or excited? Yeah. So, that's him. Over the next two days, <laughs> shut up, <laughs> Rothstein explained to police how a dead man came to be in his freezer. In mid-August, he said he received a phone call from an ex-girlfriend, Marjorie Deal Armstrong, mm. whom he had dated in the 60s and early 70s. I have a picture of Marjorie. Okay. Okay. Let's go look at old Marge. Yeah. She's devastatingly good looking. <laughs> oh my god. We haven't used that in so long. I know. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> that was so perfect. Good job. <clears throat> yeah. So devastatingly good looking Marge told him she had shot her live in boyfriend, James Roden, in the back with a shotgun in a dispute over money. So, I have a picture of James. That is one entire eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> and Nailed it. I do believe 
that he is a smidgen younger than Marge. I don't know. By the looks of it. That's he's a smidgen younger. I honestly don't know how old he is, but yeah, I'm gonna guess that he was I mean, she used to be a very attractive lady. Devastatingly good looking. I'll, I'll I'll post one of her old pictures too because I didn't put that in here. But she actually was very pretty when she was younger. I watched the uh, thing. You did? Okay, yeah. so you know yeah, what I'm talking I've about. Seen it. Like I, okay. I watched it a while back. Okay. So now she needed help removing the body and cleaning up the scene inside of her house. So Rothstein did what she asked. She kind of had a power over him. Like she was, she was really good at manipulation. She must have. A magical vajayjay. She got that beer flavored. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something. I don't know. Cause, uh, I don't know. He kept the corpse in the house in the chest freezer in his garage for mm. five weeks. That's not okay. He melted down the murder weapon and scattered the pieces around Erie County. But, Rothstein said, he couldn't go through with the plan to grind up the body. Yeah, because, ew. Yeah. And so, he called 911 because he was afraid of what Margie might do to him. Yeah, because he didn't want to be the next freezer body. No. (laughs) (laughs) He knows he wouldn't fit. They'd have to chop him. He's a big boy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, how was she going to do it without him? Who's she going to dupe now? The last ex-boyfriend? Or... The one before the two that she killed. They're not alive either. I'm going to tell you. Hold on. So. Okay. Go look at a picture of his garage. Okay. Wow. It's a little cluttered. Bill is a hoarder. He. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the funny thing is. That mattress looked nasty. Okay, the mattress. I was just about to say that mattress was actually James's mattress where he was killed. Why are you hanging on to that <laughs> shit? You have property. Burn it. You know. I Don't mean- you watch forensic files? <laughs> Obviously not, because. Uh, oh my god. The- he didn't do a very good job. Okay. So back in the corner, there was this big black tarp. And behind that was the freezer. You want to see what was inside the freezer? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do. Go to the picture that says freezer. That is quite a large freezer. Mm-hmm. I slurped. First of all, if you are a single man living at home by yourself, why do you need a freezer of this size? That's the first question. I mean, for all the... Uh, TV dinners. You are one person? TV dinners. <laughs> I don't know. You ain't got a freezer in your fridge. Dead bodies. Okay. So, um, yeah, he's kind of in the fetal position, which you can kind of tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's not okay. So, on September 21st, the day after Rothstein called 911, Marjorie was arrested for the murder of Roden. Sixteen months later, in January 2005, she pleaded guilty but mentally ill mm. and was sentenced to seven to 20 years. 
That's that's a pretty big gap right there. Yeah, that's weird. In state prison, but maybe seven, maybe twenty. Maybe. Yeah, we'll just you know we'll just play it by ear. Let's see how it goes. (laughs) So, but by that time, Rothstein was past caring about the old girlfriend he'd given up to the cops because he died of lymphoma in July of two thousand four. Yeah. Poor stupid, stupid Rothstein. Maybe, maybe not. The team of federal agents investigating the collarball mystery hadn't been paying much attention to the Rodin murder. It was a local matter, and it seemed to have nothing to do with their case. But in April of 2005, when the feds finally met with Marjorie, she told them that if they could arrange a transfer from the Muncie Muncie. State Penitentiary to the minimum security prison in Cambridge Springs, a facility much closer to home, she would tell them everything she knew. Okay. Even before she was arrested for killing Rodin, she was one of Erie's most notorious figures, <laughs> well known for her string of dead lovers. She was described as being extremely smart, cunning, and a highly desired narcissist. Mm. She may have been a tad bipolar as well. Something. No, no, she actually was very, like, extremely bipolar. Okay. Uh, she first drew public attention in 1984 when, at 35, she was charged with murdering her boyfriend, Robert Thomas. Uh, she claimed she saw, shot him six times in self-defense, and a jury eventually acquitted her. <laughs> okay. Yep. Four years later, her husband, Richard Armstrong, died of a cerebral hem- hemorrhage. The death was ruled accidental, but questions lingered. Armstrong had a head injury when he arrived at the hospital, but the case was never forwarded to the coroner's office. Y'all fucking up. There's a whole lot more about them, and it's a fucking rabbit hole. Feel free to dive in, because it is freaking bonkers. Brittany and I have referred to uh, this little show that we're talking about. It's called Evil Genius on mm-hmm. Netflix. Go. Just just go. Okay? Because there is so much about this case that I am not throwing in for time's sake. It, it's a must watch. You, you gotta go. So that's, yeah. We ain't doing all that today. So here's the gist. They're all batshit crazy. And all you really need to know is how this all ties in together, right? Yep. Tell me. Alright, so after her capture, Marjorie started talking a lot to everybody. They pretty much didn't even have a chance to consider... Her terms before she started blabbing. She can't help it. She needs she, the attention. She's like, no, I'm not going to tell you because if I tell you, then I'll get in trouble. And I'm not going to tell you about how I murdered my boyfriend, James Roden. And I'm not going to tell you how I, like, <laughs> bitch, just, 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 no, I mean, keep talking by all means. So she started talking. She said that she didn't kill James for money. It was actually connected to how the collar bomb came to be. In fact, she said they all were. Herself, Bill, James, and Brian Wells. Plus a couple of others. That's entirely too many people to be involved in something like that. Yeah, I think there's like eight people total. Yeah, that's too much. Yeah. And then you gotta split with everybody? Nah, fuck that. I mean... That's why you start blowing them up so you don't have to share. (laughs) Which is what they did. (laughs) Bill... Needed money, a, a, a sum of exactly two hundred fifty thousand dollars okay. for some property stuff. That's weird. Hmm. That's coincidental, mm-hmm. right? Um, Marjorie had money, but she wouldn't give him any. 
and supposedly she was the mastermind. But she said it was Bill, and all she did was simply supply the kitchen timers. You know, okay. the, you know the sunbeam kitchen the timers. Sunbeam timers. Mm-hmm. That she bought at Dollar Tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the thing about Bill. I mean, he was a pretty smart guy, and he was uh, considered to be the architect of it all, actually. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. You know, he was a handyman, and he had plenty of spare parts laying around his house. And he can speak Hebrew. And and French. (laughs) (laughs) So, there you go. James and Brian were considered to be just pawns. It's reported that Brian thought the bomb was a fake until it started beeping. So, that's why he was so calm up until that moment. Brian was in it for the money. He had an expensive (coughs) girlfriend. Okay, I'm with you. Okay. If, if y'all don't get that, she was a sex worker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to her, that's how he ended up in this mess. Poor guy. He Bro. did it all Bro. for the nookie. <laughs> Come on, the nookie. nookie. <laughs> so you can take that cookie. <laughs> he ain't taking shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's no, not. No. After it was all said and done, Margie was the only defendant who went to trial in the case. After a three-week trial in federal court in Erie, she was found guilty on November 1st, 2010 of the felonies of armed bank robbery, conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery, and using a destructive device in a crime of violence. All right. She was sentenced to life plus 30 years on February 28th, 2011. She died of breast cancer at 68 on April 4th, 2017, while serving her sentence at the Federal Medical Center Carswell, a women's prison near Fort Worth, Texas. All right. A little bit too close to home for me. Right. She was buried at a cemetery in the area. Bill and Brian were both named as unindicted co-conspirators in the Pizza Bomber case, unindicted because Brian was considered a victim. And Bill, simply because he was already deceased. So, yeah. Like I said, if you want to dive deeper in, go watch Evil Genius. I will give a disclaimer. They show the explosion. Mm -hmm. If you would like to see it even more, there is a GIF. Just type in Brian Wells' GIF, and it shows the whole entire explosion, if if that's what you're into. That's so crazy. I saw it. Holy shit. Oh, my God. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm that, not gonna. That, that's up to y'all. But that's my case! Yay! Good job! Yay! <laughs> you did so good. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I really appreciate all your hard work on this case. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really love this for you. <laughs> uh, when people say that, that's a shitty thing. Wow. Wow! I am never making you bougie-ass milkshakes ever again. Yes, you will. No. That's it. I am done with my cocktail days. I'm no longer your bartender. You a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Those are really good, though. I know. I like it. Oh, my gosh. We did it. We're done. Episode 36. (sighs) That's what my brain is doing right now. That's a lot to condense. A lot. I wanted to throw in so much more. And I was like, Brittany, I'm at nine pages. That's too much pages. She's like, no, ma'am. 
All right. Like, I know. All right. We got Who Framed Roger Rabbit. No. We're not going to forget this time. I was about to. I got it. Okay. It's a good one. <clears throat> March 9th. Yeah. Dennis Lynn Rader, born March 9th, 1945, is an American serial killer who murdered 10 people in Sedgwick County, Kansas between 1974 and 1991. He is also known as the, wait for it, <laughs> BTK killer. Yeah. Or the BTK strangler. Yeah. BTK stands for Bind, Torture, Kill, which was his infamous signature. He sent letters describing the details of the murders to police and local news outlets before his arrest. After a hiatus in the 1990s to the early 2000s, Raider resumed sending letters in 2004, leading to his 2005 arrest (laughs) and subsequently guilty plea. He is currently serving 10 consecutive life sentences at El Dorado Correctional Facility in Kansas. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to pimpel him. He is some yeah, no. messed up yeah, stuff. No, we not. We ain't doing that. No, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, still trying to find that perfect prison pen pal though. Y'all, I have a wish list. Come get your friend. <laughs> get your friend. <laughs> yeah, they'll, we'll have a great time. Come get me. It'll be a hoot. Wow. <laughs> wow. For what? a good time, call. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, you were like, no. yeah, come get me. We'll have a great time. That is not what I meant. <laughs> that is not what I meant at all. <laughs> Dear God, please do not. Never mind. I am boring and very basic. Yeah, come get me. And I'm annoying. (laughs) They know that already. I have a nervous laughter that, like. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. On that note. I'm done. We're going to (laughs) skedaddle. She's done. Main drink is done. (laughs) All right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. This was fun. Yeah, it was. Y'all enjoy the rest of your hump day. Happy humping. Yeah. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. We'll talk at you next week.